And this is the C86 show.
Welcome once again to my world, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should, as always. I'll be crossing time, space and genre for the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Sean O'Hagan from the Micro Disney and also the High Lama. So I'll be bringing that interview in five easy to digest little segments alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. And um, because I've got a lot to cram in in only 60 minutes, I'm going to begin with your favourite and my favourite. Yes, this is Micro Disney and the track Birthday Girl. Did you guess that? Who knows?
Checking in and checking out. Well, no, there's no and in there, is there? But that's the High Llamas, and that's on the album Gideon Gay. And um, just looking at some reviews, and uh, I think it was Trouser Press who said it was a heartfelt art pop masterpiece, which I thought was delightful. And though everyone always mentions Brian Jones when they talk about the High Llamas, um, I'm often thinking about Steely Dan at the same time. So there you go, check it out. Um, and before that, we had Micro Disney, and that's Birthday Girl that came from the album Clock Comes Down. 
down the stairs. That was recorded in 1985. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this week's special guest is Sean O'Hagan from the band um, Micro Disney and also the High Llamas. And obviously Micro, Micro Disney has been playing some dates very recently. But anyway, this is an interview I did with him uh, quite a few months ago, just after Christmas or just around that time. So this is going to be the first part of my interview with uh, Sean because I've got quite a bit of it. And it was a very long interview because we did it in two days, over two days. So anyway, it was hard to edit it. But this is the first part where we talk about the early years of the band. So take it away. So the band came into fruition um, when Carl and myself met at a New Year's Eve party in the very dying seconds of the 70s, 1979, believe it or not. Um, and we were two sort of slightly lost souls who thought that nobody listened to the sort of music that we might listen to. So we shared things like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a pop group fan, or so am I, I'm a Scrape Litty fan, or so am I. And then obscure things like I'm a Beach Boys fan, all oh, right, and blah, blah, blah. So... Yeah, we, we kind of sort of um, decided to, to um, try to hook up with a, 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 another group of, um, of of unplaying sort of lost souls in Cork, where I was living, um, to kind of put together music and words, music and poetry, music. And we didn't, I don't think we had any intention for it to be a conventional band. We wanted it to be a kind of like a sort of a, I don't know, a happening band, an experiment, you know, an experiment in performance you know music and 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 poetry um, but you know within very very quickly when as soon as we sort of got put a a group of chaps together a group of friends of consenting friends together we um you know we fell into that thing of rehearsing and writing as as a group and so that it, it became a conventional sort of band thing but um, you know, we did have very odd, odd um, influences, which were, I think, were outside the sort of the indie mainstream. It wasn't called indie in those days; it was called other things. But um, you know, we were both interested in Jack Brown. We were both interested in like you know, kind of odd soundtrack music, um, and Crass, Steve Stapleton, all that stuff. So we had this kind of range of interests which were like kind of visceral and political and anarcho through to um very kind of odd uh kind of uh, sublime odd music orchestral music from the 60s or the 50s or so that's what kind of brought us together really yeah because it's interesting because um, you know one of the bands who i suppose defined the 80s and i was obsessed with and often put indie pop down in sort of from about 82 83 to 87 was the smiths and actually one of the interesting things with the smiths and obviously you know with your band as well was that um it was really hard to know who you listened to rather than, you know, yes, with some bands it. you think, oh, yes, I might as well go and listen to the, the band that they're ripping off because actually that was the yeah. original and they're the better. Whereas actually with, with uh, Micro Disney, it was like, God, I can't, you know, I can't really work out. You know, is there, because in, in a place, that, because of that arrangement and some of the production, there was like, is there Steely, Steely Dan influences in there as well and people like that? And it was kind of interesting, actually, in the sense that it was still that post-punk mm. period, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was all there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but much more sort of um, 
unusual or obscure stuff was there, which I don't think was being celebrated at the time. So you'd might have, you know, like like John Barry or something like that. But you'd also have um, a lot of country music, like uh, Steve Joe, um, George Jones, and Steve Young, people like that. We were very much into kind of Lubbock, and uh, and then we also had a, a really great love for uh way back then i mean we're talking about the early 80s we we love curtis mayfield we love temptations we love marvin gay um and even really odd things before we were introduced to the very very early the pre-commercially successful um aquati monday and kid creole and people like that um introduced by this wonderful man who kind of befriended us who played us crazy stuff he'd play us one day he plays miles davis on the corner, and, and then he'd play us this, this strange uh, music that was coming out of Z Records in New York, which we knew nothing about. So we were, um, yeah, you know, lots of lots of odd 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 mixtures of things, and you know, I think that was really a healthy. And you know, of course, I think we were very very important because we said we we listened to much more interesting music than all these people, and of course, we were in Cork and miles away from the action, you know, miles yes. miles away. So you'd um. And and you'd say, oh, look at them, <laughs> that lot in London. They're still listening to sort of the Sex Pistols or rock and roll. And, you know, when we're, when we're here surrounded by all this wonderful sort of avant-garde jazz and Albert Ayler and, you know, and uh, I don't know, probably 13 floor elevators or something like that. I don't know. But of course, there's people all over the country discovering that. Yes. Um, there was, I think, one thing that's really interesting about... Maybe, maybe you know, by, by by you know, for yourself, when you do this, it's, you you do actually re- realize that it wasn't all black and white. It was this people were kind of really accessing odd music, um, and you know, it felt like it was black and white in those days because it was this kind of politics of music. You know, you know, you weren't supposed to like this, but you were supposed to like that. But you know, that gets very confusing because if you think of uh, sort of left field avant-garde jazz, um, whether it's kind of the last poets or Albert Ayler, or whether it's Neil, or, or, or whether it's you know Soft Machine, you know it's it's a uh, there it isn't black and white. There's always this crazy one. There's, there's always the mainstream, and then there's always the people who put themselves or struggle or way outside the mainstream. Yes, and it, it was black and white. You know, it was all. There's always odd music out there. There you go. That's the first part of my interview with Sean O'Hagan um, from Micro Disney and the High Llamas. Anyway, this is David Easton on the C86 show. A bit later on, I will tell you how you can contact me probably via Facebook or Twitter, but um, we should have some more music. And also a big shout out to Richard Penguin, who I know is a big fan, and also DJ Taylor, who um, the author, who's got a new book out called Rock and Roll is Life. And I know he went over to Ireland to see the Micro Disney concert gig. So, um, yes, I hope, um, yes, a big shout out to you guys. Anyway, this is going to be Micro Disney and the track called Dolly. This is, I believe, from their album. He says, looking down at his notes, everybody is fantastic and so well prepared. Actually, that last bit I just made up.
There you go. That's, um, yes, Micro Disney and the track called Dolly from their album. Everybody is fantastic. Yes, this is David Eastall, the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show. I will be there, and it's always nice to hear from you, as long as it's nice and groovy and positive. Otherwise, don't bother. Anyway, so, yeah, the second part of my interview with Sean O'Hagan that I had a few months ago, um... And yes, this is the bit where we talk about, like I said, this was quite a long interview, actually, which was over two days. But um, this is when we talk about the creative process and the narrative and arc. And this is his reply or his response to that interesting question. We were in Ireland for um, maybe, you know, a couple, a good, you know, a couple of years. And we were touring with people like you two and the undertones. And um, we were sort of switch. We were we were mutant funk and then we would sort of go a bit more country and but then really we didn't really start making records until Carl and myself decided to become a two-piece and we 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 economized the way we actually produced music we we just became uh, a guitar and an organ um and a drum machine um and when we started to record like that um that's when we we seemed to have some kind of impact and the impact was in 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 London um, with um, various people in at Rough Trade and Cherry Red, and John Peel eventually got to hear about it as well. Um, we recorded on a small label called Kabuki, and uh, John Peel was very very fond of it. And uh, we um, we decided to spend some time in London, get, get go come over to London to record these sessions. And there was a plan for us to sign to a label called Blanco Negro, that, but that didn't um, happen. So we ended up um, on Rough Trade. Um, in fact, we um, the record, the first record that we recorded, Everybody is Fantastic, was actually recorded for Blanco Negro. Um, but in the end, they decided not to release it, and Rough Trade stepped in and said, well, if you don't, we will. And that's how we, we, we um, our, our relationship uh rough trade started and then we didn't really have a second record so um we decided to put out a kind of collection of strange things that Carl and i had uh, done in ireland you know, either over the previous 18 months all these these odd little collaborations for people's small films and singles and all sorts of things and that was we had you said african bastards which came afterwards um, and then straight after that, we Rough Trade became much more interested in us, and we did we did a, an EP called Loft Holdings with Loft Holdings with four six four, um, and um, then we do, we uh, headed off on a, a tour of Poland for some reason. Went to, to Poland, Czechoslovakia in nineteen eighty four. That was really interesting because it kind of gave us a sort of really strange perspective on where we were, you know, you know, the, a perspective on London. There's perspective on our poverty, stuff like that. And when we came back, it was a great moment because we we had these, I don't know, we, we just worked very, very hard. And the songs that we came up with became uh, The Clock Comes Down the Stairs. And um, that, yeah, um, that, and, and, and that changed everything for the band, really. It became a record that so many people responded to. Yes, and and um, and obviously, was that a surprise at the time? Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. We went off on tour. I remember, and when we came back to the to London, this record had been, was being talked about everywhere, and you know, it was it was a uh, you know very nice 
Um, and also, again, I think we were one of those bands that kind of, again, with that, that record, it sort of uh, changed the agenda again because it was like, here are these people and, and they don't write like everybody else. They don't write modularly. I mean, we're people used to write modularly and I, well, there'd be a, you know, uh, four bits in the song. There'd be the intro bit, which was the same as the verse. The intro and the verse were always the same. And then the chorus bit. The chorus bit always happened four times. And then you went to the verse bit, which happened four times. And then you might have a little bit in the middle. Um, and this this modular thing. And, and, and we were very, very, we were really listening to songwriters, you know, whether it was, you know, Jack Brell or Scott, one, two, three or four, any of those records, or whether it was George Jones or whether it was Brian Wilson. We were very much into the journey of a song, um, not in that sort of really sort of, you know, the, the classic, classic song way. We were just really interested in the idea of a melody always developing and um, chord progressions that really startled you. We were always looking for reaching for chord progressions, and we weren't into, we weren't really jazz people. We were, that wasn't our thing. We could, we weren't great musicians. We were just always looking for, you know, like, like the shape of a chord. The same way as Robert Wyatt would always look for the shape of a chord, or or John Cale would, or certainly Brian would, or you know Bernard Herrmann would. We're always, you know, when you play the piano. And you put your, you know, your, your hands down, you're playing a minor seven. Okay, what happens if I play an inversion? And what happens if I move the left hand? And what happens if I, you know, change key after, you know, four bars? Wow, you know, like it's, it's, it wasn't, we weren't really interested in just making music that kind of predictable or brought you brought you back to you, you made you feel at home we were you know yes. and you know there were a few other people doing that i mean scritty were doing that they were doing that i know it's a gripping story anyway that's the second part of my interview with sean o'hagan um a bit more music and then more chat and um don't worry it's quality this is a, a track from the high llamas it's taken from their album hawaii and this is nomad strings
just called Nomad, not Nomad Strings. That was another track on the album, which was Hawaii, and that was The High Llamas. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show, and as always, we like to have a special guest this week. It's Sean O'Hagan from Micro Disney, who I um, believe were playing in London last week and Dublin the week before, possibly. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Anyway, um, time is tight. So this is going to be the third part of the interview with Sean, where we talk about the end of the band. I know. I know how to bring the party to a crescendo yeah it was uh yeah 89 uh, i think uh, the last record had just come out and um i i, I just think we felt uh between carl and i certainly felt that the creative um it was no longer enjoyable um create, creating the um the songs and for us really it was really all about you know, writing and, get, and make it and writing great songs. And I think at that stage, for one reason or another, I don't know whether it's because of the situation we were in, the record company or the pressures or, but that, that, that kind of sense of enjoyment of two writers getting together and, and, um, and enjoying the creative process had sort of passed. Um, so yeah, we thought rather than labor with, with, with that, Perhaps it's time that we we stopped, and I don't don't think either of us thought, okay, well we're going to go on and have separate careers. I think we just decided to stop, and then you know the stuff worked out for us at different times over the next few years. Yes, because because normally at this stage, what I've found is most people think that's the end and and sort of have have sort of given it kind of up for at least a couple of decades because because often the one thing that most people find is that they have absolutely no money and and as a career they realize that music didn't give them much in that that's no, there point. isn't any money because <laughs> what what's happening at this stage is um all your um your, your contemporaries are sort of 10 years into their career and and they are beginning to make good money and you know landing in promoted jobs and and you're and you're and you're there with nothing you've spent 10 years uh recording and touring um usually you end up with with very very little um and uh yeah you're quite right people just then take a little sidestep into some kind of career um uh, but that is 
not what <laughs> I wasn't able to do that because I, I didn't really have any training. I didn't go to college. I didn't do well at school. I had nothing. You know, I just worked in, you know, re very regular jobs before I started playing music. Yes. And did you find that um, the other thing that most people realise when they're in a band is that they, they didn't sort of get the sort of, I suppose, the admin and their sort of accounts sorted and and all those kind of things, which is another kind of shock that kind of appears towards the end of the when, end of their kind of the band life cycle. Did you have moments like that with Micro Disney as well? No, we were fairly at the beginning. That was a, that was a problem. But by the end, we were reasonably um organized so we didn't really have sort of you know government debts or tax debts or anything like that yes that's always um yes that's one that's caught a lot of people out so yes so then yeah. the high llamas began so did that feel mm. like another chapter that sort of gave you a big boost um i wouldn't say again it took a few years to um come together and it was a a real um it was like sort of almost like personal therapy working through what I might actually end up doing, you know, because I guess I think, I mean, first of all, you have to get the right, the the, the few people around you who you, you want to work with. And that took, took some time, quite a few years, a couple of years. Um, and then when you get those people, um, you decide on the voice you're going to use and the, the artistic voice you're going to use and decide what, what, what it is you're trying to do. Um, and if you get those two things right, then suddenly you're in a, position of being of, of 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 enjoying the performance and writing of music again which is which is always good and that's where i found myself maybe about 1992 um and i'd really forgotten micro disney at that stage i'd really moved on in my head in so many ways and i'd forgotten because if you think of the journey of micro disney we went from being you know people who basically did had no understanding of how to put music together to you know people who had great understanding of how to put music together then the the the, the um, project stops and, and and you step out of this kind of major record company, this very organised world in in a the nineteen eighties um, music business, which was absolutely stuffed full of, of of money and resources and big spending. You step off that into this kind of un 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 um, made bed, this unconstructed world of of um, and 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 you start again. And I really enjoyed the um, and you start again bit. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, I really enjoyed getting being in the back of a van and the freedom and the um, and I thought I had a perspective and I also thought I had uh, a um, sense of kind of priority, which you know I'm not sure I ever had before. I, I, I don't know, but I, I those early days of you know the llamas I, I i think i it was probably it was very very enjoyable i really enjoyed it it was like a a new adventure and it was a kind of a i don't know i just it was a i don't know it feels like i was like um doing it the right way or something like well that. that's always nice to hear because um, most people i've interviewed yes after five years they've just decided they've had enough and the other day i did an interview with somebody who lasted two hours which was it did feel like a therapy session but trouble is it would be one of the best interviews ever but he kept saying this is off the record and you can't put this in the in, in the show and i kept thinking yeah but this is gonna be great but i think he wanted to tell me because if he ever got murdered by one of the other members of the band there is the interview that i did that he probably would want me to um play 
at the trial. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. And this is going to be another track before we hear some more from Sean O'Hagan. This is going to be Micro Disney, a John Peel session from August 1983. And this is a track called Sun. Pop, that's uh, Micro Disney, the track called Sun that came from a John Peel session in 83, which does seem a bit scary. As Fairport Convention once said, who knows where the time goes. Anyway, this is going to be the fourth part of my interview with Sean O'Hagan, where we talk about the dynamic of the band. Sean, take it away. Um, the dynamic, yeah. Well, first of all, when, when we actually started, really started off, we had um, uh, Anita Visser, who was in the band. She was an American um, friend of ours. And so, first of all, we had female in the band and so that that changes the dynamic completely yes um i didn't feel as though i was a great lyricist or a lead singer but there was yes but i did but then i did take that role on bit by bit um and so the dynamic at the beginning was we were a pop group who would and if you think when we were we were knocking around 92 1991 well, very beginning we, we were exploring things like, you know, the birds and, you know, I don't know, just kind of singer, you know, like, 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 you know, an American 
feel of 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 of, of kind of uh, underground rock and roll, I suppose. Uh, all our contemporaries were were into grunge and uh, yes, of something. course, yes. You know, we were comp- again, yet again, we were totally on the other side of the tracks. You know, happily, but I mean, I always—that's where I always want to be on the other side of the tracks. Um, I never, never understand the idea of if there's a if if there's, if there's a a dominant sound wanting to be part of a dominant sound. I, you, you, you'd want to be absolutely away from a dominant sound. I just don't understand the idea of let's join the dominant sound. I don't, never understood it. Um, so yeah, I, I, and, and, and even doing that when we actually toured with that sound and, you know, especially in France, it was welcome. People loved it. It grew into, um, but then I, 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 Definitely sort of the idea of sort of guitar, bass and drums and chunky acoustic guitars and harmonies. I got bored of that very, very quickly. And I really realized that the next thing for me was to um, explore a completely different way of putting music together. Like um, using uh, small ensembles, using chamber music, using kind of, I don't know, referencing systems music reference the odd 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 things from soundtrack music um maybe not even writing in the, tra- the traditional um strong song structure i really felt it was time to sort of really cut that one loose and also the idea of slick records i didn't i didn't want to make slick records i wanted to make slightly well well put together records but slightly rough and lo-fi records but not lo-fi in the kind of um I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I've got a slack right hand, but lo-fi in the, in the fact that nothing is going to shine, you know, Mm. we like to, you know, so yeah, that was the next thing, which was, which was Gideon Gay. And I suppose that really happened as a result of my time with Tim Gain in Stereolab. Yes. And obviously that definitely had a, definitely a European feel to the Stereolab and also did you did you start to incorporate more sort of classical and choral kind of influences in your you know songwriting and yeah and I mean yeah I would I would never say I wouldn't use the word classical because I kind of would have, would be scared to use that word and 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 would have not really I'd have felt a little bit of um uh, a little bit of a, a an imposter using that word um, I didn't really understand classical music but I did understand um, Oh, I understood how kind of strings worked in arrangement and in, in in film music. And I don't think I ever referenced it in classical music, but mainly mainly in film music. Later on, um, as I understood, began to understand this process, I realised um, that you know the, this was all basically uh, kind of this all goes back to the ni- the you know late nineteenth century and the early twentieth century. You know, with the impressionist. Um, composers, especially the French Impressionist composers. Um, I'm not really that interested in classical music before that period, even though I'm a massive fan of Bach. I don't, I'm not really interested in the classical era or the Baroque era. I'm interested in the late 19th century when it became um, uh, da, 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 it became impressionistic and ooh, peculiar, I think is the best way yeah. 
And that was the fourth part of my interview with Sean O'Hagan, which um, I realise time is really ticking on there. So I'm going to play a bit of uh, a track by uh, the High Lamas called The Sun Beats Down. And then we're going to play the last part of the interview, um, which is worth it because, well, like I said, this was an interview that lasted over well over one hour. And um, yes, over several, well, two days, in fact. So anyway, so I might have to edit this track, which I know feels a bit like, you know, sacrilege really the fading charm the broken calm the drill Lamas with a track called The Sun Beats Down, and that was from their album Cold and Bouncy. This is David Eastor. I know I keep saying that between links, but just in case you forget, um, this is my Sean O'Hagan interview, and this is... Um, this is the final part of the interview, which I didn't mean, m- manage to edit down. And this is where I, I say, or ask him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. So I hope you're making notes, pen and paper, everybody, and I'll test you at the end of this show. My 18-year-old self is, is this somebody who's actually, you know, des- you know wants to um, work in music. Um, okay, so the first thing is, number one, is listen to your inner voice, whatever your inner voice is. Um, that, um, I, I, I always tell people, that don't listen to their critics you know whoever they um if you've got an inner voice and you've got a a, a, a um an instinct and um 
that that's the most important thing. You have to hang on to that. If you lose that, then you lose your identity. And um, have an identity, um, in other words, sounding different, you know, moving away from the crowd, sounding separate from the crowd. It's always the most important thing in a musician's. That's what you've got. You know, you say, you say this is what all those guys are doing. This is what I'm doing. Yes. This is what I'm doing. And um, so the confidence of your own instinct is the first and most important thing. Um, the second thing is um, never, you know, always keep listening to music. Don't. So to what tends to happen with a lot of people of certain age is where they say, oh, yeah, I still love music, but it's not as good as it used to be in those days. And, and so they have this kind of constant um you know, they're, 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 people are just not open to um, new, new new music or um, – and, you know, there's new stuff around which I find very, very boring and, you know, I, I find very dull. But that's probably on the – you know, you, on, on the – again, or they're on the major labels. There is, there is new music around um, on – soundcloud and in you know i don't know on giles peterson's or, or web 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 um, broadcasts on yeah in in french uh, mixtape radio unbelievable music there's unbelievable music beautiful crazy beautiful unbelievable music it's not on the radio but it's it's everywhere else you know yes. maybe something it's on the radio but most of it isn't most of it is on online um and mixtapes um so there's there's and and so if you were 18 that's that's where it's all happening and, and you know don't don't fall over yourself to say i need to get listed on radio six or radio one you know don't 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 get sort of drawn into that don't get caught up by that List, you know you enjoy the freedom that is um, uh, that that is out there outside the the, the, the business, shall we say? Re- enjoy that freedom because it is possible to get your music out online, play a show in the back of a kind of a disused house or somewhere. Um, get get get, get uh, I don't know. Swap swap you know swap sessions with somebody in Brazil. You can do all those things, you know, and that's 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 the exciting thing obviously money is 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 a problem but i've you know we we from our um from our uh, uh, generation we were well you know we 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 were very judgmental because there was or there wasn't money i don't think these youngsters are that judgmental they're just they just want to make music you mm. know and um if they make any money if they get paid if they if they manage to sell a bit of product they're, they're they're very very happy um so yeah there you go success isn't financial success is artistic yes. i know it's a doesn't pay the bills but that is something that is so important and that is the final part of my interview with sean o'hagan a big thank you for giving me the time especially um considering it took place over two days anyway that's the end of the show this has been david eastall the c86 show um tune in for next week because i've still got lots more guests to play so anyway this is going to be the high lamas and track called put yourself down
This is what 